welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Today, we have episode number 260. Our guests are Jared and Eric. They're a couple of regular guys, like you, listeners of the show, working full-time, have a family, wife, kids, a lot going on, and they made a do-it-yourself adventure happen in Kodiak, Alaska. About this time last year, Steve and I had just returned from our first trip to Kodiak, which you can go back and listen to in podcast episodes from this time last year. Jared and Eric, our guests today, did a do-it-yourself adventure. They didn't stay on a lodge and have boat transport like Steve and I did. They did this whole thing on their own. Booked a charter, picked a spot, got dropped off, had all their own gear with them for the week, including, yes, a bear fence. And they had an adventure in Alaska that they'll never forget. We hear about the story, how they planned it, how the hunt went down, what they did right, what they would do differently next time, and lots more in this episode. I love episodes like this when regular guys like you and I take some initiative and go make an adventure happen. I hope that you learned something on this episode and are also inspired to make your adventures come true. Let's go ahead and dive right in, picking up this conversation with Jared and Eric. When did Kodiak get on the radar? Like even the idea conceptually, and then uh, how did you guys start planning? Maybe who, you know, of you two, Eric and Jared, who brought it up to the other first, and then kind of how did that go? Yeah, so I, I uh, really back in 2018 sort of started diving into wanting to hunt out west and kind of trying to figure out what was achievable and and what what the options were. And I sort of grew up, um, my dad had gone on a couple of elk hunts in Colorado when I was young. And so I sort of grew up with the idea that an elk hunt had to be a, a guided hunt with horse horses and a wall tent. Cause that's how he did it. And then as I researched and sort of found out more about the do it yourself options, um, I stumbled onto your podcast and, uh, sort of started scrolling through the different episodes and found, um, the one that you guys had done with Abe Henderson. Uh, and it was, um, how to hunt Alaska on a budget basically. And so listen to that and, um, sent it to Jared and sort of said, you know, like, I think we could do this if, you know, if you're interested. And so just, um, Abe has this, uh, Alaska do it yourself hunting guide that he's put together a couple of them. Now, and one of them was how to hunt uh, blacktail deer on Kodiak. And so we got that and kind of read through it, uh, and, and sort of put together an outline of how to plan the trip and, and slowly started to piece together the logistics through, um, through most of 2019. And, um, you know, from booking the transporter to figuring out, you know, what time of year we wanted to go, uh, reading all of the, the novel of uh, Alaska hunting regulations and uh, making sure we were, you know, up to speed on all that stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Were you, uh, pretty excited and on board right away, Jared, when the idea floated out there? Well, you know, it's funny because let's say it was just over two years ago, you know, prior to the trip, we can commit to anything two years down the road, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, at that point, there really wasn't a ton of commitment, you know, but it was like, okay. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm a planner. Like, to be honest, this is a role reversal for most everything I do. I mean, even when our families are taking trips together, I'm usually doing the planning and stuff like that. But Eric was, he dove into this real quick. And so when any time any kind of question came up, 
he'd already kind of done the research on it. So uh, it was, it was great that I didn't have to do any of it. And it just, you know, when we really broke down the details, it was kind of a little bit of shock every turn of the page that it was obtainable. You know, I'm the same way growing up in Michigan, you know, my dad had a friend that worked that uh, went out elk hunting every year, brought his own horses, you know, in Colorado, it's a 30 hour drive from Michigan, you know, moving to new England, it wasn't really on my radar, but, and, and my wife still jokes that, <laughs> that I took Eric on our honeymoon because we had, <laughs> we, uh, that's awesome. We had, we had planned to go to Alaska on our honeymoon and just at the time it was like, didn't make sense to, um, you know, really go into debt to go to Alaska to do all the two weeks of fun that we wanted to do. So we put it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, shame on us. Guess what? Now I feel like we're really close to going, Katie and I. So yeah. I'll be excited when uh, when we can finally get there together. We'll probably end up bringing our kids, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. But, yeah. You, one of the, you know, kind of things you mentioned to me in email was just, you know, dreaming about it versus doing it and just making that leap, as you guys said, like once you start, planning and once you start doing the research you realize that yeah it's work to put it together logistically but it's totally doable it's one of those things that the idea can seem daunting and when you're looking at it from afar but you know kind of the how do you eat an elephant type deal you just start chipping away at it and uh, you realize you can do it what would you say um for the way that you guys did this like a rough budget um would be for guys to consider I think, I mean, gear purchases set aside because you, you know, yeah, being from New England and hunting whitetail, you could probably get away with most of the stuff you would do that with anyways. But um, I think between the transporter, uh, tags, lodging, um, we stayed in a hotel in Kodiak for a few nights. Um, I'd say between three and $4,000 would be kind of the high end of, of what you could do. You could certainly do it for, for less than that if you wanted to. Um, there's just certain things like, you know, the Alaska airlines credit card, uh, they get, when you took out the credit card, you got 40,000 miles. So I think our, our round trip flights from Boston to Kodiak were like $11 for each of us. Um, Mm -hmm. so there's certain things like that, that if you didn't go that route, you know, a full price airline ticket is probably 1200 bucks, but that, that wasn't a part of our budget. So we kind of don't really include that, but, um, the single most expensive piece of it was the, the transporter flight from, from Kodiak out into the field. And, um, and that was one of the more daunting kind of decisions to make. There were, there were, there's a, a handful of them there that, and they're all probably really good. Um, we ended up going with, uh, with Island air services and I would absolutely hire them again. They were top notch guys and, and, um, and, and really, you know, kind of helped ease our mind in the planning and, uh, and, and just getting out into the field and knowing we were in a, a halfway decent spot and, and um, knowing they'd come back and get us if we needed them and, and that they came back to get us was, <laughs> was reassuring. So, yeah. um, you know, it was, uh, it was really that, that sort of, that was kind of the, the first decision, you know, kind of who, to, who was going to get us from Kodiak out into where we were going to go, where exactly were we going to try to get to? Cause, cause you kind of have to pick where you want to go somewhat. There's a guy, there's, um, as you guys know, probably the, the difference between the transporters and the guides is, is a pretty clear cut line. Um, and then, uh, and then sort of just planned the days from there. So we knew we were looking at about a 10 day hunt. And, um, and so 
we wanted to have a couple of extra days on either end um, just in case of weather or luggage didn't make it or to process the deer or, or whatever. So it ended up that we, we flew out of Logan on a Friday and, um, and we're planning to get to uh, fly out into the bush on a Sunday and then get picked up that following Friday. And then our commercial flight was uh, again that the next Sunday. So we had a couple of days on either end, which, which ended up working out pretty well. What dates did you guys pick and, and how did you settle on those dates? Yeah, we flew out. Actually, we flew out on September 11th out of Boston, which was a little eerie. Um, and then uh, we flew back on, uh, I think, the 20th. Um, okay. And we sort of, in uh, in Abe's guide, he kind of breaks down the the difference in what the deer are doing during, you know, the season starts there in August and goes all the way through to the end of, end of December. So it sort of, we knew we wanted to kind of hunt somewhat the high alpine we knew we wanted to do sort of a, a, a flight drop off bush plane kind of um trip and then um our own personal schedules september you know seemed to work out pretty well and that that mid-september timeline especially and then um the sort of the the theory was that the bears may be um not quite as prevalent where we would be hunting if if the salmon were running um in the streams and it and it just worked out that we got lucky and they they weren't, I mean, we didn't, we didn't see a bear, um, while we were hunting at all. We, in fact, on our flight back out of the bush, we made, uh, our pilot fly us over some of the rivers so we could get some pictures of, uh, of brown bears. Um, but, and they were only a few miles away. Um, but the, the salmon run just timed kind of perfectly for when we were there that we didn't, we didn't get bothered at all. So. Yeah. What, what, um, what kind of weather did you have? I know that Mark and I kind of looked at going back again someday in August and it sounds like keeping meat uh, cool would be an issue, but if you're in September there, it's probably getting cold enough. It wasn't much of a deal for you. We had everything yeah. as far as weather. <laughs> uh, you know, in the more we were talking to locals, they were, you're, you know, you're going to do what to go get black-tailed deer? Because, <laughs> you know, it, it was locally, it's the hard way. I mean, yeah. yeah. Right. And you guys realize that. I mean, there's a road system and, um, but, yeah, we our first day was warm. I mean, it got up to probably sixty or sixty-five that day. Yeah, maybe t-shirts. Yeah, t-shirt. And so, you know, good thing we were still learning how to hunt that day because we didn't have any deer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, and you know, we had mornings where it was 25, 30 degrees too. But hmm. yeah. and and we saw, you know, I don't think we saw the full wrath of Kodiak rain and wind, but we definitely had had one day where we were pretty well pinned down in the tents, and you know. 70 mile an hour gusts and full on monsoon type stuff. So, but there were plenty of huntable days within, within that. So it, yeah. um, I think we got a good sampling of everything. Cool. Yeah. Going back to, you mentioned picking an area. So we talked a little bit about picking the time and that is a very important factor on a, a Kodiak deer hunt. As, as you said, the season's so long, you know, August through December uh, and things change throughout that time. Picking, a spot and especially for what you guys did where you're hiring a transporter and you talked earlier about transporters and guides are two different things you know a transporter legally has restrictions on even giving you certain bits of information that are hunt specific because they're just a transporter not a guide um how did you do the research what did you find helpful how did you ultimately narrow down Here's Kodiak. It's a, you know, a big island. Uh, you can go many different places. And how did you filter that down and then ultimately make a specific spot? Well, we heard, 
the podcast you guys did after your trip and we knew we didn't want to hike through that much brush. So, <laughs> uh, Especially uh, that time of year. Don't blame you. Yeah. Every time we, like, we were, was probably what a month before we went. Yeah. Every time I heard you guys talking about that, I was like, oh my God, I hope we're like, Eric, we're going to be higher, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, yeah. We, I mean, the Southern end of the Island doesn't have all the, the dense, um, uh, Sitka spruce forest and, and that sort of thing. And, and so it, it, it's a, it's more open country. So we kind of knew we wanted to be down on the Southern end. And then in talking with the biologist earlier this year, um, the winter kill from 2019 wasn't quite as bad on the Southern end of the Island. So we knew just deer population wise, we wanted to be down there. Um, and, and so it's kind of, but again, the Southern end of the Island is, is as big as half of the state that we live in. So it's sort of like, how do you pick? Um, so we, we kind of, earmarked half a dozen different lakes that looked like um they could get you know a plane into and then brought those to the transporter and and they said yeah these are you know these are good there's been some guys on this one we may want to look at this one and and so we sort of just took off with with the three lakes in mind and and kind of flew over each of them and said all right this is the one that looks the best and um they put us down and and we'd actually you know we'd seen deer on the way in and so that was exciting and um so it was uh, it was more random than than I was probably comfortable with going into it, but I, I'm very happy it, it worked out the way that it did, and, and we were certainly in a good spot. Uh, it's just one of those sort of leap of faith things within the trip itself that makes it exciting, but you also kind of just have to know that you're not going to have a pin drop on the map that you're going to, <clears throat> and be a little bit more flexible with with where uh, where you can go because there's other transporters too that may have camps. We flew over one, one lake that we were going to hunt on and, and somebody was already set up there. So, um, you know, just that flexibility, have a plan, but, but be able to be flexible, I guess. Yeah. That's Alaska. I mean, I remember going through that, um, even on our caribou hunt of, I'm, I'm a, such a planner too, of like, I want to know where specifically we're going. I want to, you know, look at country, download maps and all that. And it was very much a, well, we could be here or here or here or here, you know, it was like, there's five different areas. Um, and then even down to, uh, us getting, uh, to Alaska, it was still figuring it out, you know, on where exactly we're going to be. So that's just one example of many of kind of the irony of Alaska is you have to do all this work and planning and logistics. And at the same time, you have to stay very flexible and just be ready to adapt, uh, in many different ways. We could not download enough on X maps. Like, yeah, just yeah. as luck would have it, we landed right off of what I downloaded. So we didn't have the map for it, but oh well. <laughs> and, and navigating, um, it, it wasn't as, I mean, you know, if you know how to use a compass and it's, <clears throat> it's open, so you can kind of see where you're going. And we ended up on a lake that had a series of drainages sort of east and west of it. And so one day we'd kind of hunt to the east and then the next day we'd hunt to the west and kind of go back and forth that way. So you you could usually kind of see where you were going and, and sort of knew it wasn't uh, like you're in this thick canopy forest and you're getting turned around and, and not sure where you're going. So it was much more open country than we're used to hunting around here. Mm. Felt pretty comfortable. Any other... Yeah. Thinking back to your planning and logistics and how that came to, you know, choosing the transporter, you said you ended up with Island Air and had a great experience. Um, what were the questions either in narrowing down which transporter to use or honestly just the questions on 
questions for a transporter, right? In terms of um, figuring out those logistics pieces of gear and weight and how far can you fly and all that stuff. Anything that sticks out um, that you think would be helpful for any guys considering a trip like this? Part of why we chose Island Air was, was there, uh, they're one of the bigger transporters on, on the Island. And so we felt that with more pilots and more planes, if, if we had a, a stint of bad weather, they'd probably be more likely to get us out faster. Um, but then, um, uh, also potential for meat pickup if we needed it. Um, they had a freezer right there at the hangar that we could use. They had a, uh, a van that they, you know, could drive us around in if we needed to, we didn't end up, uh, we ended up renting a, a truck the last day we were there, but we, we didn't, um, for, for have one for a vehicle for most of the hunt. So kind of getting around the town of Kodiak, um, with them was, was pretty helpful. Um, the, the weight limit, you know, for, for luggage between the two of us on the Beaver was, was 1200 pounds, um, between our weight and, and our gear weight. So we were, we were pretty well under that anyways, we packed pretty light, but, um, you know, if you'd have had a third person, we probably could have even still been under that, which would have helped, um, split the cost of the transporter flight a little bit, but, um, uh, they're all pretty, pretty, they were all pretty close to the same price wise. Um, it's the, the price was based on where you were going. So, you know, how much, uh, Avgas you're going to burn. So heading to the Southern end of the Island was sort of the furthest longest flight, but it also had the best potential for deer. So, you know, we were willing to pay the extra dollar knowing this was sort of a once in a lifetime trip for us and, and get to a spot where we knew we'd, we'd be into the deer. Yeah. What, what was that rough cost you'd mentioned earlier? It was a good you know chunk of your budget. It was about um, $1,500 each way, uh, for the, for the transporter flight. So it was, it was about a half, half of each of our budgets was just the transport. Yeah. Right. Wasn't there something too about how they could, they were also guides. So maybe, we, you know, yeah. One of the <clears throat> owners, uh, had, had his guide license too. He'd since sold out of, um, sure. the company, but you know, so they, the thought was maybe they could give us a little bit more inside information as uh, we were planning the trip, but, um, you know, they have a, professional office staff. So you call up there, somebody answers the phone. It was, they would respond to email within a couple of hours. It was very, um, we sort of sent out a generic email to, to three or four of the different transporters and, and they all got back to us and, and they were all very professional, but um, Island Air just seemed to give us the, the biggest vote of confidence as far as, um, you know, being able to work with them to, to plan more details for the trip. Yeah. Yeah, we certainly had a great experience with them, Steve. Uh, yeah. I was definitely impressed. Um, everything exactly you said, communication and even helping you get around town, taking you out in the van, getting you here and there. Um, I don't even remember, Steve, if guys listen to our podcast and we kind of had a, a Alaska-style snafu with getting picked up and we flew with someone else. Did we ever figure out who that was, Steve? What company? Hmm. No, no, it was still Island Air. Was it? It was just yeah. a different pilot. Scheduled? Yeah, I think it was the okay. owner. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. I was just gonna say, I was if we, you knew who that was, I would them props too because they were obviously yeah. very accommodating. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was still. It was supposed to be somebody else, if you remember. And then last minute, the guy from Island Air called and said, "Hey, I'm I'm right around the corner. I can pick these guys up." Oh, okay, gotcha, cool. Um, talk about gear. Um. You know, for you guys coming from the Northeast, this is a totally different experience than the hunts you're used to. Um, you know, it's 
it's Alaska. You're getting dropped off. A plane's flying away. Obviously, you need to have the gear you need. Um, weather's a factor. Bears can be a factor. Just the remoteness is a factor. So, like, what were the big things that you guys really, you know, wanted to focus on heading into the trip in terms of making sure you had gear dialed? And then at the same time, while we're talking gear, hit anything that you found to be truly necessary, um, you know, that you would highlight for guys doing a trip like this and or, gosh, I wish we would had this or had more of that. Um, so just anything under those gear categories and kind of start with the planning aspect there. Yeah, I, I guess um, we'll preface that the Jared and I are both kind of gear nerds. And, uh, and so, you know, we probably went a little bit overboard with um, buying new stuff in preparation for the trip, but then also making sure that we tested it here. We uh, in May, actually, <laughs> the opening weekend of turkey season here was going to be a real bad rainstorm. So we loaded up our packs and did a quote unquote backcountry turkey hunt here uh, <laughs> we hunt in the rain and, uh, you know, make sure our tents and you know rain gear and all that was going to work. But oh, that was uh, ridiculous. Like, I mean, it was just forecasted to be a deluge. <laughs> so I texted him and said, we probably ought to go out camp tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know that I guess that's where your hunt partner comes in because he was like, "Yes, so we did." We got, as a matter of fact, it actually cleared up at like four o'clock. Yeah, and we're like, "Should we even go?" But uh, sure enough, forecast turned out to be poured down rain, so we went out and camped in it and turkey hunted. <laughs> I, I imagine that was that's pretty. Awesome. Like you probably guys learned probably a lot from that, huh? We were doing that a lot. Yeah, I mean, even yeah. our training hikes were like, uh, "Boy, we should we should hike." tomorrow because it's going to be 40 degrees and raining and yeah you know it's setting yourself up for a hunt like this because we were thinking you know i was kind of planning to ex like, just expecting to get rain every day on this hunt if we didn't mm -hmm. great and i felt like that's a mindset kind of thing that just made it great for us mm -hmm. you know if we got a little bit of nice weather it was like hey this is way better than we thought it'd be yeah but uh, anyway so we had i mean we we both ran um uh, Kuyu Mountain Star two-person tents. We each had our own tent. Um, we ended up renting a bear fence from Kodiak Camps, which sort of surrounded the campsite. Um, we both have uh, XO 3500 uh, K2s, um, which were awesome. Uh, you know, we bought good breathable rain gear, um, good, you know, good quality boots, um, and just, you know, layering, layering systems with, with different clothing. Um, merino wool base layers the synthetic um you know uh, treated down puffies all that sort of stuff that um you know sitka kuyu first light kind of websites keep promoting and sending us emails every day for <laughs> so I, I feel like we you know and, and with the little bit of testing that we could do living here in new england we you know we felt pretty well organized with our gear um we we are fortunate to live uh, Jared lives at the base of a local ski mountain. So we'd meet a couple times a week and load up our packs and, and hike in the early morning up and down a couple of dif different ski trails with our boots and try and just, you know, get uh, as much of that in as we could. And then um, uh, I'd say that the Garmin inreaches are probably a, a very underrated thing. Um, just both to be able to communicate with, uh, with the transporter and, and get the weather forecasts, but then also, you know, the, the peace of mind that it gives our families back home to know that we can text them a couple times a day and, and they know we're all right. I think for us made it a, 
an enjoyable trip too. I think it would be, would be a lot different scenario if, if we were worried that our wives and kids were worried the whole time, it would, uh, it would, would certainly weigh on you, I think for, for a trip like this. So having those was, was really handy. I think it helped with the, the day-to-day planning. Just, I didn't expect the weather forecast to be quite as accurate and they were amazing. And then, um, you know, so we could say, all right, you know, we're, we're going to do this today because tomorrow's going to be so crappy and we'll have a better chance of seeing stuff if it's not fogged in. Um, but just to add to what Eric just said is I think it also changed the trip. And it's not like it wasn't, we were just dropped off and the plane leaves and you're all, all alone by yourself. Like I didn't even really experience that. Like, uh, yeah, it, we were still in contact with the regular world. And, um, in one sense, that's con- that can be a negative. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but I mean, honestly, with, with our busy lives and everything else, like, I, I don't know that we would have been able to do it any other way. Mm. So you didn't quite experience that full, like you're out in the middle of Alaska by yourself, but, uh, we were, and <laughs> we yeah. got to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, for that type of trip, it's helpful with family and then even just with transporters, right? Like you're out there and being able to, um, you know, some transporters are going to have certain rules on in-reach or sat phones or things like that, but it can be a necessity in Alaska for sure, like a true must, you know. I'll say we went back and forth on bear defense yeah. stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask about that. You said you rented a bear fence. Is that something you just arranged ahead of time and picked up when you got into town? How did that work? Yeah. So there's a there's a company in Kodiak, Kodiak camps, uh, spelled with a K and, um, and they rent, they'll rent a full, you know, a full camp gear. If you wanted to rent a tent and, um, sitting bags and all that, we brought our own with that stuff, but yeah, they, so they have these electric bear fences that run off of, um, <clears throat> some D cell batteries and, you know, you look at them and they, they look kind of chintzy, but they, uh, they, you know, they kind of pack a punch and, um, it just gave you, I mean, it probably wouldn't stop a charging bear, but we were worried about the if and when we got deer down and, you know, beer being, or uh, deer, bears being curious and sniffing around and it just sort of helps you sleep a little bit better at night, I guess, knowing that that's there. Um, and so they dropped it off at the transporter and uh, we took it out with us and left it there and they came back and picked it up. It was, it was pretty slick. I, I have to say that, you know, from just travel in general, everybody on Kodiak was more than accommodating for us being, you know, out of towners. There was never any, you know, oh, well, you know, you guys are, you don't know what you're doing or, you know, don't, you know, there was, we never met a sour person uh, on the whole time. Everybody was, was really uh, pretty genuine and open with advice and, and different ways to do things. And um, so that was pretty, uh, pretty nice to see. Yeah. I think yeah. Mark and I experienced that same thing. It was just super friendly town. Mm-hmm. I, I think it makes a sense to get a head start on that when you're flying from Seattle to Anchorage. You know, or yeah. from Anchorage to Kodiak, definitely chat up the people next to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we ended up uh, sitting next to a guy that was that was flying to Kodiak. He had a house um, uh, on the island, and he was going with his young son and and two nephews. And uh, so we we you know we just kind of um, BS kid, with him. His kids are my kids' age, and you know we just we pick on them. So <laughs> so we're you know we're standing there in the parking lot waiting for the transport shuttle to take us to the hotel. And he pulls up uh, in his truck and says, Hey, um, I didn't tell you guys this on the plane, but I, I actually own a charter boat and uh, we're doing a family day tomorrow. Would you guys want to go fishing for the day? What? So we, had day to, we had a day to kill anyways uh, that Saturday. And so we, yeah, we went out for a day with him on, and his kids and his crew <laughs> on the boat and uh, caught, you know, hundred pounds of halibut and cod that they 
packaged up. We grabbed it uh, when we got back and, and flew it back with us. It was uh, it was awesome. But <laughs> wow, it's yeah, incredible. Just sort of started that kind of. Uh, Mark, I told you, you know, I think we a lot of a lot of planning and 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 um, uh, preparation went into it. But but all in all, I think we we had a lot of just very lucky uh, opportunities with with this whole trip. So it was, uh, yeah. that, that kind of kicked it off for us. But um, yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, Kodiak, you know, the time we spent there just even in town, as you said, transporters, all the even people in restaurants, just like everything. Everybody's welcoming for sure. Um, the, only, <laughs> the only negative I'll say um, is if you're walking through town and it's raining, <laughs> is don't walk on a sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Oh, you want to tell that, Steve? Oh, uh, yo, you go ahead, man. You're uh, we were, I forget, we, we had left the hotel super early in the morning. We were walking up to uh, the sporty goods store there in town, which I forget what that place is called, but it's awesome. Bigger uh, yeah, is, yeah. Yeah, that place is phenomenal. Um, so anyway, we were walking literally on the sidewalk, main, main street that rolls through Kodiak, and it had been raining all night. It was raining at that time, and they do not have, like, proper drainage in terms of storm sewers and so there's just puddles of water on the side of the road which it was still dark and we didn't fully see that and uh this truck just came by and you could tell it was like 99 sure intentional he just drenched us uh he just hit this giant puddle of standing water that we were four feet away from and it was literally spray like over our heads i mean it was like we were in a wave um, and I don't think that there was a dry part on us at that point, Steve. No, no, yeah, we were pretty well soaked. Yeah, and then <laughs> all we could so, do was laugh about it, like, eh, yeah, you can do is back laugh. at the non-resident hunters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so, yeah, we were in the sporting goods store shortly thereafter, walking in right when they open and clearly dripping, soaking wet. And, uh, you know, we kind of told them what happened. They're like, yeah, actually, when you guys walk back, look, and you'll notice that interior from the sidewalk like 20 25 feet there's actually paths like through the grass because that's where everybody walks they don't walk on the sidewalk uh which you know once it was daylight we were able to see that but that was pretty funny yeah my only complaint there about kodiak locals but no everybody was great um for sure we you know we mentioned two nights on either end i mean we just kept running into the same people yeah at the end of the trip we you know we knew we were on first name basis with several of them yeah yeah that's neat did you guys just more like kind of leading up to it drip planning did you guys think through rifle versus bow at all i'm even not even aware if you are bow hunters or strictly rifle hunters but any did you weigh that decision at all yeah i I mean i grew up bow hunting and never actually never fired a rifle until i moved to new england uh when i in the southern part of michigan it was a shotgun only zone and we grew up bow hunting so it didn't matter but um I, you know, we quickly, I think I, for me, just speaking for myself, I quickly got over it. Yeah. I mean, I would have rather maybe have taken a deer with a bow, but this is my first trip to Alaska and I wanted the experience. And, um, yeah, I, I, I quickly switched to guns. <laughs> yeah. 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 Same for me. I mean, I, I want a little bit around here. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, just the, again, back to that kind of bear defense strategy. Um, my, you know, my thought was my primary defense was the 30 out six in my hand. So, um, that, that sort of was led me to that decision pretty quickly. Yeah. Cool. Um, 
And I'm glad we did it that way at this point. Yeah. And, and I think if we'd have, you know, back to some of the training stuff, I think if we'd have been, we, we'd practiced out to 200 yards, we don't have many opportunities for long distance shooting here where we are. And so we were both comfortable at that distance and, and thank, you know, both of the deer we shot were, were within that. Um, but I think if we'd have been more comfortable out to 300, 350, we probably could have filled more tags earlier. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't regret any of the deer we didn't shoot or, or anything like that, but I think it from, from guys coming from the East to go out West and hunt, if you have an opportunity to try and train to shoot further, cause it's just a totally different scale. Um, uh, as far as the, the openness of the country and the size of the, the, the area that you're hunting, um, and the shot opportunities being longer. Yeah. You yeah, mentioned, definitely, oh, so ahead, you mentioned tags. One question I had was how many tags did you each get and what was your reasoning? Yeah, we, uh, so this was probably some place that we definitely could have saved some money. We, <laughs> we each got three tags, um, and, and we each ended up filling one tag. Uh, we probably oh. gotten away with, with just two tags and had been perfectly happy. We were paranoid that, you know, if a, a bear took your deer or, or you know, mm. you shot at the deer and didn't recover it right away, you know, you, you kind of lose that tag. And so we, we, we sort of were a little more cautious. And so our extra tags are really kind of our safety net, but, um, if we didn't do it again, I'd, you know, I'd just go with one or two tags and focus on filling that and, and, and be happy with it. It was kind of funny because any of the locals that had asked us that same question, like how many tags you have after a while, I kind of started to realize they were, the conversation just quickly ended when you told them you had three, cause they didn't want to tell you like, okay, good luck guy. You're not going to get three. <laughs> but uh, you know, that, I think that's, that's exactly it. I mean, we were, we're like, well, what if we get one and we got to deal with a bear? I mean, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, we actually did talk to a couple of guys uh, on the plane right out of there. This was their third hunt on Kodiak, and they'd gone every year. They each got two deer that this on this particular hunt, and they both said, like, look, that that was a lot of work. Like, I just don't think they could they fully enjoyed it as much as we did mm. <laughs> because we didn't have to pack out two extra deer. I mean you know, with the weather or any one day, I mean, one day is going to probably just kind of one day sucking and you're not going to want to be working to get a deer back in it. And so I, we were very happy to have a deer piece and very fortunate. And we just, you know, mm. egg soup. But, but we saw deer, I mean, to, back to the, the deer mm-hmm. population thing. Um, I mentioned to you before, Mark, we don't, you know, we're lucky if we see one nice shooter buck here in New Hampshire through a whole hunting season. I mean, we saw five or six every day uh, there, plus, you know, 15 to 20 does. And in, in some cases there were too many deer around to make a stock within 200 yards. And, and so it took us a couple of days to kind of figure out um, how to efficiently hunt it. But um, it was, uh, it was exciting to see that many deer and, you know, it was never, you know, sitting for hours, glassing, waiting to see things. If we, messed up one stock, kind of go up over the next, uh, drainage and glass for 20 minutes. And Nope, there's a couple more. All right, let's figure out how to get around those. So it was, uh, it was very much more of an active hunt than, than we're used to sitting in a stand, uh, here. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the logistics of the hunt even dictate like how many tags you should consider. Like, obviously you guys, as you said, you're, you're just camped out there you don't have uh, facilities call it that like you're you're there uh, whereas this trip Steve and I did every night we're coming back to uh, Jerry's place and we could cut meat there and we didn't have to worry about leaving meat in the field and all that so it's much easier logistically for us to fill a lot of tags um, versus 
you know, let's say it was, you know, Steve, Mike, and I, as it was on the trip we did, the three of us, and then we each had three deer tags. Well, it's now it's like, do you really want to care for eight or nine deer, you know, in the field and then have to deal with that for the whole week in the field? Um, that type of thing. So, yeah, even the logistics of your hunt may dictate how many tags you want to get, um, which is something I didn't, you know, fully think of prior, but makes a ton of sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So get into the hunts a little bit. You, you mentioned there, you know, obviously you're landing in a completely new area, hunting new terrain, new species. Um, I think you mentioned in the first day, just kind of like figuring things out, but get into the actual hunts. You know, as you just said, even locating deer, learning strategies for closing the distance, any things like that. Yeah. So um, in Alaska, there's certain species of of animals that you can hunt the same day as you fly in. And so black-tailed deer is one of them. So we, we landed and, and kind of on, on Sunday, it was pretty uh, bluebird day. We set up camp quickly and, you know, sort of said, all right, let's go up there and, and try this. So yeah, I think we, we landed at noon yeah. or something. So by two o'clock we were hunt, hunting and we, we found deer pretty quickly. And, <clears throat> and, um, and looking back the, the, the bucks we saw the first day were by far the biggest bucks that we saw the whole trip. And, and the two of them sort of running up, uh-huh slowly running away from us over the ridge line is something I'll never forget. Uh, um, but you know, so it took us, okay, we glassed up the deer. All right. Now, how do we get close enough to shoot them? And, and, um, so trying to figure out how to navigate with through some of the lower brush and use the terrain to, um, sort of hide your stock. And it just, it took a couple of days for us to sort of figure out how to do that. But, um, we, we'd been getting all kinds of free advice too, that, oh yeah, that, you know, they're not that spooky. Yeah. Like they're, you know, so it took us a little bit to figure out that, uh, I think they're plenty spooky. Um, you know, that if they lock onto you, they might not necessarily get up and rock, walk away, which is what we're used to, but they're still locked onto you. And now they're going to watch and you're okay mm-hmm. sitting 500 yards away, but you know, you want to get inside a 200. Well, forget it. I mean, they're going to be gone by then. So it took a little doing to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So we had, did uh, you go ahead. No, I was going to say in terms of you mentioned it being more open, but did you still find that deer? The one thing that stood out to me in our trip was deer on one hand were very visible, but then on the other hand could disappear very easily. Um, and so it was like playing whack-a-mole almost like <laughs> a deer would pop up and then it would go away, you know? Um, did you guys feel like that that was the case for you just based on the kind of the cover or not so much the case? Yeah. I mean, the first couple of days you kind of figured out what color green to hike through and what color green to stay away from. I mean, we said it was, you know, we say it was open, but from where we were camped on the lake, we probably had three, 400 yards of just alders and willows and everything up over your head, eight to 12 feet tall that, you know, you're kind of hiking and and sort of trying to wade your, wade your way through. And then you get up above that and it's still sort of these, rolling knolls and, and ferns and, and, um, you know, walking the ridge lines was kind of the best way to walk comfortably, but it wasn't necessarily the best way to, um, stay away from being uh, skyline. So just trying to figure out how to, how to efficiently navigate through the, through the, uh, terrain was, um, took us a couple of days to figure that out. And then, yeah, you know, the, the deer, they'd lay down and they'd disappear in that stuff. And, you know, it, it, um, they, they were more in their winter coats, um, at that point. So if you go earlier in the season, the deer tend to be a little bit, uh, oranger. 
I guess, or, or um, you know, have their summer coats on still. So they stand out a little bit more against the, the deep green foliage, but everything had, had sort of started to turn brown um, and the deer were definitely in, in darker coats. And so they could disappear very easily if they, they wanted to just lay down. Yeah. Got it. So uh, yeah, man, just roll us into, uh, I guess the first getting that first tag filled, like how did that go down for you guys? So it was, uh, I think it was our second, full day there. And it had been, um, one of those sort of rainy, nasty mornings. And, and so we decided to, we knew because of the beach weather, it was going to clear up later in the morning. So we, we hung out at camp until it cleared and, um, and kind of, it was still sort of drizzly and, and foggy when we left, but we, we said, well, we're here to hunt. So let's go kind of got up onto where we had glassed some deer the first day, um, and sort of set up to start glassing and, and saw a few and we're kind of trying to figure out how to make our way around the ridge to get closer to them. And, um, as we were doing that, um, we spotted a deer on the same ridge line as, as us sort of feeding away from us. And, um, how far away was that at that point? Probably four or 500 yards away. Yeah. Um, and it was still kind of the fog was blowing in and out. It was sort of still drizzly, but we got over to the other side of the ridge and started making a, a stock on it and, um, and got close enough to where we knew we'd pinpoint some landmarks and we kind of knew he was up over the next, um, little high point from us. And so Jared kind of set up, um, and I was going to sort of try and stalk around the, the knob to get a little closer. And as I was doing that, the wind sort of started to shift. And, um, and so I kind of pulled back and, uh, Jared was already set up and, um, and let him have it. And, uh, it was, uh, it was pretty exciting. It, it was, uh, you know, the fog was kind of coming and going and it just happened that the fog uh, obscured our approach inside mm-hmm. of 200 yards. There was mm-hmm. just this little bit of a window that made it great. Like I was able to run up to the, to the ridge line, like maybe 30 or 40 yards. And then I, you know, we've been poking deer all the last couple of days moving around and stuff. So I said, all right, I'll watch it. And then Eric, you go around the knob, like he was saying, by the way, figure out ahead of time your Navy SEAL signals because ours suck. <laughs> like, if, like if what is he to, doing? <laughs> oh, my God. If we ever have to clear a room together, somebody's going to die. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, all the – apparently there there are no universal, like, first-time hunter backcountry signals for go around the knob. <laughs> so, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. But it, it just worked out great that um, – the 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 fog obscured the deer from us and then when it cleared again like eric was trying to move on it but because of the way the wind shifted as soon as the fog cleared it's like oh he's looking right at you and uh i at that time i'd kind of switched to my scope on my rifle to, to look at this guy i just want to get a better look i still thought eric was going to go around the knob and shoot it from 75 yards away but uh then he kind of looks back at me and then I think Eric realized he's in front of my barrel. (laughs) So so he, I mean, I don't know to say he was running to get out of the way, but he was focused on it. And uh, so he, yeah. So So I was was like, do you want me to shoot it? I I think. And that was the other thing too, is he's a little, a little closer and I'm trying to get a range on this thing with my range finder. Well, it's too Mm -hmm. foggy to really get the deer where I'm at. Uh, and so I ended up kind of arranging just the brush halfway to it and then extrapolating. So I, I kind of 
whispered over to Eric. It's like 175 yards away. But then, he, you know, so he's getting his rifle ready. And then I didn't want him to think – I didn't want him to take the shot based on my kind of wild-ass guess at that point. So uh, then I was trying to tell him, wait, no, I, I think it's 175. But I, I, I don't know. It was foggy and I couldn't really tell. And uh, ends up it was 176. But uh, so it worked out great. And, uh, you know, with the fog and I, I'd never shot my rifle in the mountains like that. It was just a thunk. It was just a really cool sound to be in Alaska and shoot from mm -hmm. a rooftop. I mean, I don't want that point to get lost because it was cool. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah. where'd it go? And we, I, I kind of think I rolled it, but I really don't know. And I'm, I was very not immediately excited um, you know, I don't want to get too excited. I mean, I've had to chase deer before and I was like, Oh, I hope I made a good shot. I felt good, but I don't know. And, uh, I was kind of shooting a new rifle too. So anyway, when we did finally find it, man, it was a cool feeling. Yeah, it was, uh, I've been hunting, hunting since I was uh, a little kid and I could say that was probably the most emotional, uh, excited, <laughs> uh, recovery I've ever had just knowing that you know two years of planning uh this trip had come to fruition and, and we had a full tag and uh it was just it was awesome so um I, I can't yeah. you know the team effort on that one and we were you know we had just enough of uh screwing stuff up the previous two days to kind of help this one feel really awesome and mm -hmm. uh, it, so then uh, two rookies have to quarter a deer for the first time. Uh, you know, one, well, one looks for bears and uh, the other one kind of gets his hands dirty. So that was definitely a, a learning curve experience. And, um, and again, in Alaska, the wanton waste laws, you got to bring back all of the edible meat. So, you know, stripping the ribs down and, and, you know, it was just uh, probably took a lot longer than it should have, but it was, uh, it was fun and, and just added to the adventure and, uh, we each took half the deer and hiked it back to camp and, um, you know, we ended up cutting down some alders and kind of made a, a teepee with those to hang the meat in. And, um, we're, we're pretty excited to try a piece of backstrap that night and frying pan on the jet boil. And, um, it was, uh, it was awesome. It was, uh, something just that, you know, six hour period from when we shot the deer to when we got it back to camp, I'll, you know, I'll remember that the rest of my life just as the mm -hmm. the culmination of all the planning um came came together it was it was great yeah you know, there's really no cool. way to prep for trying to do your first backcountry dressing job we watched a lot of videos of course but i feel like the only the best practice is to stand bent over for about an hour <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like you know that's the yeah. only way you know and then when it's you back work out and, and try to put that stuff on your backpack oh uh, yeah <laughs> and we had um you know and, and and again we were we had to hike this stuff back to camp i think that all worked out great yeah um yeah. you know one thing they don't tell you or you know the podcasts don't tell us yeah we that, don't tell you is that what you're getting exactly <laughs> exactly is uh you know, so we ate the meat and camped that night and we we're so excited to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm on like my third piece of backstrap trying to, and I said, you know, Eric, I, this tastes great. Cause he cooked, he happened to cook it in his skillet. So here I am picking on the cook. I said, but it's chewy. And I, I think it's chewy and I don't want to, I was like, and it, 
so we kind of let it ride and waited till we got another deer to really experiment. Say, you know what? It is chewy. I there's got to be something to uh, you know rigoring on the carcass. There was another podcast that had a guy on talking about, and he was like an FDA meat inspector or something, and that was interesting to me. But um, and, I don't know. If- and keep in mind, we're used to you know gutting the deer in the field, dragging them back out hanging them up in the garage or the barn, you know, for a few days and letting them, you know, before you, we process them and, and we process yeah. all of our deer ourselves anyway. So it's not like we've never cut one up before, but just yeah. a, a totally different experience with them laying on the ground and, uh, you get three hours later. Yeah. Yeah. So. But yeah. I think part of that too is the, I, I think you're right. Like there's a natural, I don't want to say decay, but like a breakdown in some of the fibers that occur when you guys do what you're used to and letting it hang for a few days. Um, and then I think part of that too, is I've personally just never had great luck cooking stuff in the field on a jet boil skillet. Um, (laughs) you know, like I think that's just part of too, is just the call it the cooking technique or the process or what have you. Um, you know, it, it, like you said, it tastes good. It's like a very cool accomplished feeling to do that. Um, even like that, uh, spike that you just shot Steve, like it's, it's Mm -hmm. fun to like, Four hours ago, we were packing this thing out, and now we're eating it. Like that's a cool process, but it, it, from a pure food perspective, I don't think it's the going to give you the best result. Right. Well, we're going to practice yeah. with our next whitetail, eating it right away, and see what happens. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There you go. That's fun. It's always man. It's cool to hear about that experience and exactly what uh, what you guys said about two years of planning coming together, and then that that six hours being like etched into your memory. That's awesome. So the next day we, uh, we, again, we got the, the inReach weather forecast and we knew Thursday was going to be a pretty, pretty bad day weather wise. So, um, up until this point, we hadn't, you know, we'd been awake plenty before sunrise, but hadn't really wanted to venture out too far through the brush, um, until we could see halfway decent and, um, just because of the bears situation. So we made the decision Wednesday was going to be the day that we'd get up well before, uh, sunrise and be up at our glassing spot before sunrise and kind of set up and, and put in a good, you know, we had, we still had probably 14 or 15 hours of daylight at that point in September in Alaska. So, you know, we'd planned to, to, you know, do what we could to fill the next tag that day, knowing that Thursday was going to be, um, a crap shoot. So, um, we glassed up, uh, a lot of deer and, um, and made some, um, some blown stocks, um, trying to get, you know, within shooting range, and uh, it was early that afternoon that we finally um, finally got close enough to one that uh, worked out. And um, so we, we kind of glassed it up. And, and there was one point where we're sitting sort of on this ledge looking across at the drainage. And I'm sort of looking down at some deer and uh, Jared's looking in the opposite direction. But we're both in our glass talking to each other about the buck and doe we're seeing. And it wasn't until we real, sort of pulled our faces away from the glass that you know, we realized we were looking at two different sets of deer, um, that we've been looking at for 15 minutes talking about how big they were. And so it just, again, one of those sort of rookie hunting mistakes that <laughs> make sure you're looking at the same deer, I guess, before you start talking <laughs> about planning your approach. Um, and so we, uh, sort of earmarked some landmarks and kind of stalked within, um, the buck had been bedded at that point and, and sort of hiking through that kind of knee to chest high brush. And, um, and we'd actually, the whole trip we'd, we'd ended up we kept our packs right with us and all of our gear we didn't you know drop anything to go make stocks or whatever and for whatever reason at this point we we did drop our packs to kind of hike in a little closer and um 
So I got to within uh, just over 100 yards, and the buck stood up, stood up on, out of his bed, and um, I, you know, had an offhand shot to make and, and missed the first one, and then um, kind of calmed down the second one, and, and and ended up getting him on that one, and he, he dropped right in his bed, and um, so I hiked over to him, and, and Jared unfortunately uh, volunteered to go back and get both of our packs, which was which was nice of him, and so. Um, this deer was was interesting. It uh, was actually still in the velvet in mid September, and um, and had kind of like more of a sort of cactus kind of rack to it than what you would normally see um, with you know consistent symmetrical. Um, and we'd done a little bit of research, and there's a population of um, the blacktails there that um, get this uh, cryptorchid, um, which their their testes don't drop, I guess, and so that leads them to not. Uh, rub their velvet off and actually makes them makes them sterile. Um, so there's a small population of the blacktails on this island. We found out later on that that had this. So um, just a unique, you know, again, unique thing um, that we don't see around here very often, and kind of just added to the to the trip. Hmm, that's wild. I actually, uh, I had not heard of that prior um, until just recently. I got a picture from a friend who just like in early November here shot a big buck in uh, Montana, a big mule deer, full velvet. And I'm like, wait a second, it's early November, there's like snow everywhere, how is this buck in full velvet type thing? Uh, and it's, I don't know if it's like technically, scientifically that same condition, but essentially that same scenario uh, in terms of lack of development um, and how that plays out. So that's that's interesting that uh, you ran into that as well. It was pretty pretty cool. Yeah. It makes it a little hard when you have to leave evidence of sex on a quarter because you're looking for it and not there. But, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was fun. I mean, it was a good. You know, I, I kind of felt bad on the first day or the first year that we got because you know we were trying to play by the whoever spots it, that's their deer. Well, if you play by that rule, I shot it out from underneath Eric, and uh, I was like, all right, so we're gonna like we're going to get Eric a deer today. And, um, well, I was really happy we were able to do that. I would have rather you shot it a little closer to camp. That was like a three and a half mile hike out of there. But, um, <laughs> no, we were, we were pretty stoked by that point. And, <clears throat> you know, like we said, I mean, the next day was going to be pretty ugly and we wouldn't been out hunting in it. Absolutely. Um, just kind of nice to be able to plan your days. Yeah. How was it, uh, taking care of the second deer after having done one the day prior was it a little bit easier then <laughs> i was glad i was on watch that day my back <laughs> hurt from the previous day <laughs> yeah i mean it was uh yeah same thing just kind of uh took us took our time and um uh, one of us working on it one of us um keeping an eye out for for bears or whatever and getting the um, game bags ready the game bags ready and you know it's uh i mean some of the stuff you guys talk about you know kind of have a snack before you start, you know, drink mm -hmm. some water, that sort of, um, slow down to go faster mentality, I think was, was definitely helpful. Um, and you know, tons of pictures and, um, and, and really just tried to at that point embrace the experience and, and really appreciate where we were and what we were doing. Um, it was a pretty sweet Vista, um, and, uh, and a part that we hadn't seen, we hadn't hunted that far away yet in that particular drainage. So, um, seeing some different country than we had the past couple of days was, was neat. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we had um, like we were even talking about it in camp. I think that night after we both had two deer, or, or had we two deer for the group, um, you know, we both went into this thinking, hey, if we get deer, this will be awesome. But honestly, after messing it up for a couple of days, now you you, I would have been pretty disappointed if we didn't get one. Yeah. Um, and it was a good check because you know we're we're talking about our next backcountry hunt, and I think. You know, if, if we do a Montana rifle hunt, like there's a good chance we're not going to get even to pull the trigger. And so you really got to make sure you're comfortable with that. Um, you know, I here we are. We're in the last. We're having a great time. And I think I would have settled down and been comfortable with having to do the thing. But in the moment on the day, like uh, you got to make sure you're not getting into your own head, um, mm. you know, and still enjoying the trip. Mm, yeah that's that's hard sometimes for sure you, you got so much invested in it you want to come home with that animal and yeah it's hard to keep that attitude positive i think yeah. it uh i think it's it's great what we had i mean like you said a lot of luck involved a lot of planning but a lot of luck and i, I think it's helpful to recognize how much luck there was in this trip because our next hunt will not be like <laughs> there's just no way yeah so yeah well, we, I, uh I was say I like that you're talking about a next hunt. You guys full on board to just keep trying to do that every other year or something like that. Do some type of western backcountry hunt. I got this great yeah. backpack. I got to do something with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, good. yeah. I mean, we're. I'm. I know. I'm. I'm addicted. We're. I. Yeah. Can't wait to get back out. And uh, it's just a different. Uh, the, I love the preparation. I love the training. I love the physical aspect of it. It's. It's just a different experience. Um, I love chasing whitetail here out of my family's camp with my, you know, four generations of hunters that, that hunt together. But um, there's something about the Western hunting that's uh, definitely uh, bit me and, and uh, we're going to continue to do it as long as our wives will let us. Nice. True. So that's just cool. if you guys could just stay a hunt ahead of us, that'd be great. Seems like that's what's happening yeah. now. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to say too, just getting the meat home was you know going out there was seemed like a daunting task but ended up being much smoother of a process than either one of us had anticipated um we mentioned we caught some fish and they were already processed and boxed and frozen for us um but then the um we used the the van from our transporter took us to walmart we bought coolers uh we left our meat right on the bone in the game bags stuffed them in the coolers. Um, the best Western, the Kodiak Inn has walk-in freezers. So we put the coolers in there, froze everything solid, and then checked the coolers as luggage on Alaska air. And, um, you know, lo and behold, we got to Logan airport at the wee hours of the next morning and they came down the, the luggage rack with everything else we had. So it, it worked out pretty well. And I think it's because Alaska air is used to flying and, and kind of accommodates that type of stuff. I don't know if another airline's may have, have worked out as well but um i just wanted to say you know that was kind of a critical part of the trip being able to get the meat and everything back and so um it, it did end up working out pretty well that way yeah it's that's yeah. The, the few times we've done that it's just it's painless i mean it's no different than luggage you just check it on and go right yeah. we had uh this worked out well too because we had you know we, we bought a foam insert for a double long gun case um mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's uh, you just take pictures 
of your your guns in the case. We put our handguns in there too, and ammo in the you know the factory box, and kind of laid it all out. Sent it into this website. I have to look this up, and um, it was uh, it ended up being awesome because you know when they dropped us off, yeah, we wanted to check zero, but we also didn't want to scare deer away. I mean, we're, they dropped us off on the spot, you know, and we'd also heard that, well, that's a dinner bell. If you shoot your gun, the bears are going to come running. So I, we were kind of back and forth on all that, that foam in the case kind of gave us some confidence. Um, they were in there packed really well. The only time they came out of that was for our, when we put them in the soft gun cases to get in the plane. That, mm. that really helped out. I felt, yeah. What was that website and picture you mentioned? What was the function there? I missed that. I'm sorry. So, so like you can take a, lay your guns out in the phone of your, oh. of your case, and then I send it off to this website and there, there are a number of them. I didn't have any expectation for it, but it was two weeks later. I got it back. I think it ended up being just under 150 yeah. bucks. They sent a custom for the custom cut, cut phone. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. They sent it. Uh, so it fit everything. I mean, to the point where we had taken the picture with my rifle without scope caps on it. And I went to put it in the case with the scope caps on and it was too tight. Like it, it was pretty remarkable <laughs> how, um, how well it worked out. It was, wasn't overly expensive. Uh, Cobra something. Cobra. Huh. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I've always, uh, when traveling with mine, I've always taken all of the foam out, put my rifle in a soft case, um, that has some padding and then just use the rest of that space and kind of pack it with clothing and things like that. But one thing you have to be careful of with that, the the way that I do it is you can fit way more in there than you the weight allows, right? So I love the idea of, oh yeah, I want to put, you know, a tripod and spotting scope and clothes and boots and all that in here and like make the most use of the space in the gun case. Um, whereas there's more quote unquote dead space with the foam, but it's super easy to go over 50 pounds the way I'm doing it. So I've gone back and forth. I'm like, man, is the foam worth it or not? But, uh, especially what you guys did with two rifles, one case. And as you said, handguns and stuff like that, like that's a super smart move. Cobra foam inserts. Cool. Let's check that out. So, so uh, I was going to say at the end of the trip, was there any gear decisions that, um, you, you made right? Uh, you were like, yeah, we we're stoked about that. I know you kind of mentioned the inReach already. How about uh, gear that you were like, ooh, that, you know, we, we got lucky there that that worked for us. We probably just need something better on the next trip. The, uh, we, we went with the, the Sawyer Squeeze water filtration, which has worked well on camping trips for us in the past. But um, I don't know if it was something about pulling out of the lake that we were on. They clogged like every other time we tried to fill. So just trying to, you know, maybe a different water filtration system that works better from sitting water versus um, mm. water that's running in a stream. Mm-hmm. We brought fishing gear thinking, you know, we brought collapsible fishing poles and lures and thinking that the lake we were going to land on may be something we could fish. And it just ended up that we, it wasn't, we could have hiked um, to go, you know, fish the rivers or something like that from where we were camped, but we probably wouldn't have brought the amount of fishing gear that we did. Um, and extra food, I guess. I mean, we both, um, I in particular had, had a lot of extra food, just, you know, that just in case or pack your fears kind of thing. If we get stuck yeah. out there for a couple extra days, definitely had way more than we needed and, and probably could have survived on, uh, on the minimum if, if, uh, if we had to, hmm. um, I think we, we kind of gave up on the, 
we did go back and forth about bear spray and we carried bear spray and our training hikes and everything. I, I just would have left it at home. I don't, I think if, if you're, if you're going to have a rifle and you have a, a handgun and we didn't, we didn't go crazy getting handguns either. I didn't, I'm comfortable shooting a nine millimeter semi-automatic and that's the one I shoot all the time. That's the one I'm comfortable with. That's what I brought. I did get some, um, Buffalo bore, Buffalo bore, you know, mm -hmm. hard, yeah, but, the hard cast. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm not saying that would have done the trick. I'm, just, but but I also wasn't really gonna carry a rifle and a big six gun like. Uh, so I don't know, and it's just there's always too much wind for the bear spray. I felt like. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, we did. I did like uh, the Wiggies waders. Yeah. It's just to get out of the plane. There's these uh, Wiggies, and mm -hmm. they have. Um, they're just nylon, uh, waterproof, light, very lightweight, like roll up, put them in your pouch. But just to get in and out of that float plane, those seem to be good. Yeah, just hip boot kind of waders. Hip, hip waders. Mm -hmm. And they work to kind of go get water too. Um, yeah. They're probably not good for another hunt, but they kind of fall apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> the downside to those. Um, they're almost, I don't say disposable, but kind of like one and done on most trips. I think just having the confidence in, in your, you know, again, I mentioned we, we probably went overboard on the gear stuff, but just it, it, the added confidence it gave us, I think, helped too. Um, you know, knowing that I could crawl into my sleeping bag soaking wet and I'd be dry, you know, in the morning, um, knowing that, you know, our boots were going to be quality and not fall apart on us um, and, and having hiked in them all summer long. Um, so I just, I think that, that gear don't go there with a whole bunch of brand new stuff and, and not have confidence in it, I guess would be, would be the one thing. Cause there is the way we did it you know, you're not, you're not getting dry. You're not, um, you know, you're not going to hang things out. Um, mm -hmm. there's no stove, uh, to, to warm up next to. So kind of what you have is what you got. And, um, we, we did pack really light. I mean, we were, so part of the, going back a little bit, the transporter, they gave us a couple options. They're like, well, you could fly the beaver or you could fly the whatever that was smaller, Cessna. the little Cessna. And, you know, so you had different weight limits and I don't know if it was 200 pound difference, yeah. but you know, so we were, we were well under the thousand pound too. And we'd seen enough videos online where folks were stocking up with beer on the way to the float plane. I just couldn't believe it. Where are they going to put that? Well, we could have brought that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm not saying I needed to drink a bunch of beer every night because I wouldn't have been hiking as well the next day. But I, I think, you know, you, you've got plenty of room on this kind of a hunt with just two people to get an extra, you know, a couple extra layers of clothes. I and mean, we brought a couple layers that we never touched. But yeah, you know, we may and maybe if we'd had the five days of rain, well, then maybe we would have. But yeah, I think you can pack pretty comfortably and um, when it all worked out. I think those Sawyer things worked. I don't know if it would have gotten much colder if we would have been out of luck, but um, it was the bladder that was failing on us. It just kind of, it, it, they were worn out. We used um, something else. I don't know what it was called, but it wasn't like a platypus bladder, but it was like, it opens on the bottom and then you could fill it. And mm -hmm. those stopped working very well. Gotcha. Um, we, we uh, to hang our meat, we kind of cut a bunch of alders. Hope that's legal. And uh, we made a teepee, kind of, and hung it from that. That was 
kind of nice because we could keep it. Our our, our camp was kind of in the sun, if you will. If it was sunny, it was in the sun, and uh, that sh- the leaves shaded the meat. Yeah. Uh, but when that wind started picking up one night, it did kind of collapse, and we really didn't have much else to do except lay it, lay all the alders down horizontally and just build a rack of sorts. And then, then it really started to rain. We each had a seek outside, um, Gunnison, Gunnison tarp. And one of them we used to cook under and the other one we kind of laid like a a frame old school tent just to give it some pitch. And we kept our meat underneath that. That worked out pretty well. There's plenty of wind blowing. So it got air movement. Yeah. Yeah. Having, uh, especially for what you guys did, having your little, you know, tents you sleep in and then have an extra shelter, as you said, whether it's for cooking under, hanging out under, um, protecting meat, some sort of tarp, some sort of extra larger shelter, um, is going to be really beneficial on a trip like that for sure. And it's it, ideally something you could, um, you know, put up easily and even take down easily in case there's a bad storm. Um, and you don't want to leave it out, but having that extra space with covers, uh, a great tip. That thing worked great. You know, we thought we'd be setting up and glassing under that, but that we didn't, we didn't even have that situation. So yeah, it was great to leave it at camp. Cool. Well, there's, there's a lot in here. Um, you know, I think it's just awesome to a give helpful information that, can help guys do a trip like this, but be just whether it's Kodiak, whether it's deer, whether uh, no matter what the hunt is, but just kind of, you know, inspire guys, if you will, um, to make a plan and any hunt can seem daunting if it's new to you in a new place or new species. But once you start doing some research and like it did for you guys, even if you plan it out for two years, like set that goal, put it on the calendar, commit to it, and then you have time to figure it out. So sometimes you just got to make that leap first of committing and then, figuring out how to piece it together. So I'm glad that uh, you guys did it and that it worked out for you. And thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in guys. I hope you enjoyed that one. If you haven't yet, please consider sharing the show with a friend that could benefit from it or leave us your review in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you can. That feedback truly does help us and is much appreciated. If you have anything for us, you can email us to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'll talk to you soon.